0: Hi, I'm Gloria Felt, co-founder and president of Take the Lead, and I am so glad you're here for the Take the Lead Women podcast with inspiring stories and powerful tools and tips to help you lead and succeed. Before we dive into this week's podcast topic, which is make your voice heard, speak out on purpose. Love that topic. Here's your power quote for this week. The lion's story will never be told by hunters, so you have to tell your own story. Beverly Bryan. So, you know, if you've shied away from using your voice at work or in the public square, you're going to be challenged to step up in this podcast. And great news for you, you'll get the tools to do it effectively from leading experts. In today's episode of the Take the Lead Women podcast, we have a special guest host, Michelle Weldon, who is editorial director of Take the Lead and the author of five nonfiction books, among many other Things and Rishma Gopaldas, Vice President of Video for She Media. And they are going to have a vital conversation about purpose and voice with Karina Glover, founder and CEO of Her Headquarters, Amanda Kahlo, founder of Six Sense, and Wendy C. Thomas, founder of MLK 50 Justice Through Journalism. Whoa, a powerhouse group. This podcast, I'm going to tell you, is chock full of practical tips that will help you have influence and impact by using something we all have, the power of our own voices. You'll learn how to use your voice to speak out on issues you care about, help companies and organizations create change, enlist different platforms to communicate about your mission and purpose, decide how, when, and why you want to speak up, and discover ways to communicate purposefully.
1: I'm Michelle Weldon, Editorial Director of Take the Lead, sitting in tonight for Gloria Felt, co-founder and president of Take the Lead. I wish all of our guests and participants a happy autumn. October is a month of Halloween, and many of us know how scary it is to speak out on issues for ourselves and for others in small and large ways. So this virtual happy hour is all about how to make your voice heard, speak out on purpose. Reshma, Have you had moments when you were hesitant to speak
2: out or when speaking out really did make a difference for you? I think like the first half of my life was me being hesitant to speak out. I think we've talked about this before. As young women, we're taught, follow the rules, keep quiet, make the best out of a situation. And then we hit a certain age where everyone's like, oh, that's wrong. You shouldn't be apologizing. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. And we have to unlearn everything we did. So the times, even though I was hesitant to speak out, when I finally did speak up, it made me uncomfortable and it made other people uncomfortable, but it actually resulted in real change. And ultimately that led to me feeling like a lot of pressure. And I think we're seeing it in the world right now with people finally kind of revealing the truth that they've been repressing for years in all aspects of work and personal relationships. So I would say it's like 50-50 now. I'm hesitant, but I will speak out and then I'll probably regret it for like five seconds after.
1: Well, I'm with you. I've definitely had moments where I had to stay silent in order to keep my job or keep the peace. (laughs) And then moments where speaking out, or in my case, writing out, Mm -hmm. as I did in my first book, would make a huge difference. I just read a quote from actress Olivia Nunn, who recently said, you don't speak up because you're getting awards Mm -hmm. or because the press might talk about it. You do it when no one sees. That's how you change the world. So Reshma and our three dynamic guests, thank you for being here. We're going to dive into this really necessary conversation about the courage to speak out in your workplace, your community, and in the large public discourse. These marvelous experts tonight can help you discover the need and purpose to find and use your own voice. Offering advice and resources on how to take a stand and use your voice, our guests will share how you decide when, where, and why to speak out. Use what you've got is leadership power tool number three created by Gloria Felt. And what you always have is your voice as a tool to create change, literally in speaking up verbally, but also metaphorically in creating change in words and actions. So we have a mission to Take the Lead to reach gender parity and leadership across all sectors by 2025. And diversity and inclusion within our mission are essential. All succeed or none of us succeed. Be sure to stay till the end of the conversation so you can get some free goodies. We have a PDF of Take the Lead columns about the power of voice. So Reshma, so much is happening right now that you alluded to in the beginning in the public conversation and in workplaces about the benefits and the hazards of speaking up and taking a stand particularly for women of color, early and mid-career women, and all levels in traditionally male-dominated industries. The Federal Be Heard Act was introduced earlier this year to ban non-disclosure agreements to encourage more women to speak up in cases of harassment and discrimination. So I'm seeing there's really two sides to the coin. There's the side of transparency disclosure for speaking out, And then on the other side, there is backlash and repercussions to taking a stand. So let's see what we can do with our voices
2: as tools. So let's get to it, Reshma. All right, hey everyone, I hope you're having a great night. We have three amazing guests this evening. I'm gonna start with Karina Glover. She's the founder and CEO of Her Headquarters, a collaborating app exclusive to women entrepreneurs within fashion, beauty, entertainment, events and PR industries. Her headquarters is in L.A., New York City, Miami, Omaha, and soon to expand to San Francisco, Chicago, and Houston. Karina also launched the Aces Tour L.A. edition, celebrating women in the industry, and previously was the owner of Chiffon Events, and we are also very lucky to have Amanda Kalo, founder and chief strategy officer of Six Sense, a marketing company using AI and big data for B2B, helping mid-sized businesses. She was also the CEO and founder of CI Insights, a big data services company for 14 years. She is an advisor to Girl Rising, whose mission it is to educate girls in developing countries as a way to build thriving prosperous, healthy communities, and affect positive social change. Finally, we have Wendy. Wendy C. Thomas, the award-winning founder, editor, and publisher of MLK50 Justice Through Journalism. Wendy was a 2016 fellow at the Neiman Foundation for Journalism at Harvard University. She's a senior communications fellow at the Center for Community Change and has been published in the New York Times, National Geographic, The Undefeated, The Christian Science Monitor, and many more. So my first question, and Karina, we're going to start with you. How did you get to be you? And here's the challenge. You have to tell us in two minutes or less. How did I get to be me? I think that
3: I was always being molded and the seed was planted to be me many years ago. I got to be me through an amazing mom who made a lot of sacrifices that led to me having opportunities and experiences that many people in my family didn't have. I got to be me through my dad. He had a standard of excellence all the time, and that rubbed off on me in many ways. I'm very God-fearing. I love God. I have a very close relationship with him, and I would say that I got to be me through a lot of experiences of hardships, of always believing in myself and not being afraid to speak up and learn pros and cons, not so much of life, but how to maneuver life in a way that was respectful to others, but still being true to myself. So I would say I got to be me through the trials and eras and tribulations of life and all the beautiful and ugly moments, if I summed it up in two minutes.
2: Wendy, how about you? How did you get to be you?
4: Like Karina, I think I, you know, came to be me in part because of You know, my parents, they never discouraged me and my siblings from speaking our mind, whether that was to a pastor at church or to a teacher when I became a journalist and a columnist, to Mm -hmm. readers. We're always encouraged to speak up for ourselves, but also for others. Even when I can't or I'm reluctant to speak up for myself, I will speak up for others and being aware of, you know, just systemic inequalities and also of my own privilege that I have. Enjoy and kind of see it as a gift to be able to use my voice and whatever platform I have to try to make things better for people who don't have all the advantages that I've had.
2: Amazing. You guys are so good at sticking to two minutes. Uh, Amanda, how about you? How did you get to be you? I'm still trying to figure out who I am. Yeah.
5: I think I'm figuring that out every day, and every day I'm a different person than I was yesterday. I'm a big believer in that, that we are nothing is constant. So I must say, my mom is part of it. Yeah, I got to be me. I would also say, through a lot of where I am today and my outlook on life, is the challenges that I've been through and the hardships to come out and know that I can fight and be on top, whether it be my upbringing. We grew up below the poverty line to do some of the challenges in the workplace today. But the harder somebody fights, the harder I fight back and the stronger I get. And the more resolve I have in who I am on the inside and not how what I am on the outwardly possessions and successes. I think now I'm kind of moving into a chapter of my life where what matters is how I show up for people and not speaking out necessarily verbally, but uh, what I do behind the scenes when no one's noticing, that's who I really want to be. And how I make people feel is more important than anything else, not what I do or say or who I am.
2: Amazing. Love it. Great. Thanks. Karina,
1: I want to ask you something. I saw an interview you had in Thrive Global where you said, we understand that in order for her headquarters to be valuable, we need to have discretion about who has access to the platform. We want to provide our users with valuable allies and quality collaboration opportunities. So can you share some insight about what it's like for you to speak out about women needing to be discerning about their allies and opportunities? Because it seems like it's just popular to say, well, everyone needs everyone. But you're vocal about being discerning. Why is that important? I would say from a
3: personal level, I had to learn that lesson the hard way, just because you have integrity, just because you are authentic and sincere, that does not mean that everyone else, they're made of the same characteristics. So I learned that the hard way, you know, on a broad scale. Yeah. Her headquarters targets women entrepreneurs within, you know, specific industries. So you might think that our target audience is really, really big, but when you think about us targeting women who specifically are intentional about building their brands through brand partnerships. That's a really small pool. It's a mindset thing. And so I would say that on a professional level, whether you're a business owner, you're building a career, you're a student, or just as a human being, I think discernment is very key. It's not so much of being guarded, but it's more so of knowing that you are unique in who you are and what you are trying to contribute to the world. And in order to be very impactful, you have to align yourself with people who are intentional about the same impact, you know, the same meaning and you rob yourself of impacting more people if you align yourself with people who are not good intentioned.
1: That's right. We have to make sure who we connect with and, and that they align with our own mission. Thank you for that. Amanda, you have spent decades in leadership in big data and marketing. Can you offer some insights on the issues that you felt compelled to speak up about as a leader and maybe some advice on how to make decisions on when and where to speak up in the workplace on issues that you care about? Yeah, that's a big question. I think I would start by saying getting
5: really clear on what my purpose is, having what are my mottos, what are the things that I stand for, and not just doing it from a I know I'm a good person values perspective, but being very, very clear and purpose driven and having them written out. I've gotten clear that my mission statement is that I'm a passionate, positive, spiritual warrior for women and girls. So everything I try to do, I try to live by that. And if I'm going to take on new projects or help people in certain areas because I'm constantly being asked, I ask myself, does that align to my higher purpose? It also helps me align to the issues that I'm going to take time to take a stand on and take a stand on in the company and in the market at large, things that I'm going to take my time and speak out about. And I think as I was saying before, I think it's not necessarily about speaking out, but really giving people the tools and women the tools to know what to do when situations come their way and helping them behind the scenes, even when they don't know that it's happening, right? So I don't want the credit for fixing their situation or pushing things around or making sure people are aware of some of the impact that might be happening. But I am definitely doing things and I'm constantly looking for ways. How can I do things without getting the credit? Because for a long time, I had to find myself on my ego and my outwardly success. And I think I'm really working hard personally to not live by that anymore. So, yeah, I mean, I always want to do right by people and have that as the forefront and also setting a culture inside of the company. And culture isn't about the food and the extras that we get. It's really helping yeah. each other and what we do for each other. And that is about speaking out. So it's and yeah. helping each other in those instances when people don't have a voice and teaching them the little tricks that they can do to win power in a room from a, from a woman's perspective. So there are a lot of things that we can do people just simply aren't aware and we can start to win and actually have more influence over larger situations.
1: You just mentioned, Amanda, that there are little tricks. Can you give one little trick to our audience tonight, maybe? Yeah, I can give a 100. I guess one of the
5: big things for women, for me, one of the I try to teach women, I'm all about women's empowerment and how to teach women how to own the energy in the room. So, you know, we've all heard that when, you know, the one woman in a boardroom, I actually have a board meeting tomorrow, you will sit in the back of the room, you know, kind of slouch in a chair and not really project themselves. That's all the obvious. There's a lot of things that we can do physically to bring the energy and own the energy and own your space. Like I do a lot of physical movement before I come in. But there are little things that you can do. Like I'm going to take the seat in the room with the best with the best energy surrounding me. So I'm going to be right up against where the presentation is. I'm going to put my person on one chair next to me and my coffee next to me, so no one sits close to me because this is my energy, (laughs) unless somebody actually has to sit there, but I am going to take up space in the room, physically take up space in the room, and then I'm going to take up space energetically. So I'm going to take up space by maybe cracking a joke, right? So the energy is back on me in a non-assuming way, and I'm not being dominating, but I'm showing that I'm here. And then when I do talk that I'm very thoughtful about what I am saying and leaving space between what I say. So talking slow, considered not thinking about, I have to rush to the point because then you know, you're know you taking that energy and nobody's going to be behind you anymore. Right? So if we, if the silent pregnant pauses as you're trying to make a point are really important as well. So there are all kinds of things we can do as women. To own that power and actually make men feel uncomfortable, I can go through a whole series when crying is appropriate. Because we all say crying, I know we it both think it's not appropriate every ever, but it is one way a woman can take a power back from the man. So if there are times when it's incredibly appropriate because they know they don't know what to do, right? So to own your emotion if that is authentically you, and it is a situation where you know this freaking stuff is okay to do. It. I'm not saying doing every little situation at all. But there are times when you're in that situation,
2: you're going to own the power and you're going to shut them down. I I love how you enter a meeting like a man on a New York City subway. You're just like, this is all my space. So Wendy, you had a recent big success with your work at MLK 50 leading to huge changes, specifically the investigation with ProPublica that led to a Memphis hospital racing millions in debt for 6,500 patients who had enormous unpaid hospital bills. So congratulations on that, that's an amazing feat. And as a journalist, I know you've made it your life's work to speak out on injustices. So how do you decide, and how can some of our participants decide what issues to take on, and when and whether that is in an office or a larger public sphere?
4: So I have to say first that I owe a debt of gratitude to the Black women workers who shared their stories with me for this investigation. Was the power of their testimony, their lived experience as, you know, people who were living their lives, often just had really bad insurance, got sick, it happens to all of us, and ended up with these bills they just couldn't afford to pay. And after we wrote about the hospital's really aggressive debt collection practices, they completely overhauled their financial assistance policies. They've stopped suing people for now. They're no longer suing their own employees, which was something that they were doing. And, you know, one of the stories that we told was of a woman who was a housekeeper for the hospital. She made about $10 an hour and she owed them $23,000. After this investigation was published, the hospital Methodist ended up forgiving her debt. And so I think deciding who to write about, I mean, it's kind of what Brian Stevenson at the Equal Justice Initiative talked about about getting proximate to the problem, and so how do you get as close as possible to the people who are affected by yeah. these um, situations? And so, while reporting the story, I spent weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks at court, just watching these cases go through, and you can't help but notice that you know most of the defendants are black women; these are working women. I can see how I could be them. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not hard to fathom how. I could be in that. I mean, in these kind of situ- situations, I think it's kind of easy and almost obvious who the victims are. But I think that it's often such a part of our status quo that we don't even stop to question it. Do you know what I mean? Like we don't even ask, well, why is this happening? Why are there thousands of people being churned through this court? I thought that hospitals got tax breaks because they're nonprofits. Like, you know, it just really kind of starts with noticing what's going on around you, being proximate to those people, and then just asking more questions, which is what journalists essentially do for a living. That's what we do. We ask questions.
1: Right. This is from Amani. She asks, I have issues that I care deeply about and I'm volunteering with voting initiatives where I live. How can I have a voice on a larger stage on issues that matter to me?
5: So the first thing I would say is trying to decide what issues, too. I think there was an earlier question about what issues do do you decide to to get behind. For me, it goes back to something I think I heard Oprah say once and it really resonated that if it feels right, you feel anything that you do, whether it's an issue you're taking on, is you check in with your body and what what it feels inside. And then that can kind of lead you to, am I leading down the path of what I'm supposed to be doing? And then how do you get a bigger stage? I mean, I think one of the ways to get audience. It may be obvious, but to write, you know, you need to write a book and get in front of people, have a story to tell, share that story, create a community within your small communities and it can grow. So I wouldn't think outside of something that's beyond what you can, you can personally do, but whatever that dream is for you, dream big, but only focus on, I'm a big believer in how to manifest things, but only focus on what you believe you can actually accomplish. So do I believe I can get a hundred people in a room or do I believe I can get a billion? Same thing with, can I be a millionaire or a billionaire? If you can believe it, you can, you can have it. You got to believe it. So whatever that thing is that will help you get, to, and then set those goals and do the small steps that take you to get there. And then you start to get a larger stage and a larger voice. Great.
3: Thanks. like 100% agree with everything she said. But I think another important thing is also acknowledge that it doesn't just have to be you. You're going to have a much bigger impact if it's you and 10 other people or five other people or 30 versus just you. You're going to have a bigger impact and you're going to have a larger platform. I was really good at one point kind of downplaying the resources that I had and realize the resources that you have and how can you contribute to the cause that you really want to make a difference in. Like they were saying earlier, is your talent writing? Are you a powerful writer? Are you a beast on social media? You know, you can start a campaign. Is your skill set videography, photography? Figure out What do you have now that you can use to contribute to start this buzz going and find other allies that are just as passionate, just as committed, and create your own little mini army to contribute to winning this battle?
1: I love that. That's that's great advice. I was just looking at this study uh, from Partners in Leadership that finds that men do 75% of the talking during the average business meeting. Not a lot of us will be surprised by that. (laughs) Karina, Entering into the tech startup world in Omaha, I imagine there were some barriers you had to overcome. Can you talk to us about that and what you decided to speak out about in order to launch your successful app?
3: Not only am I in the Midwest, but I'm targeting, you know, women entrepreneurs and then not just women entrepreneurs again, but women within the industries of fashion, beauty, you know, entertainment events and PR. So those are industries that are not very concentrated in the Midwest compared to an LA or New York City. So for starters, there's already the, you know, I just turned 30, but to some people I look way younger than I am. So there's the immediate discredit of Is she even old enough to know what she's doing? Does she have enough experience to start a business? She has no experience in the tech industry. She doesn't know anything about an app. She's black. And then she wants to save these girls. You know, that's what they're thinking. She wants to save these girls. And, you know, do we even have fashion and beauty and entertainment here? So there are a series of challenges that come with breaking into this industry anywhere, but specifically in the Midwest. I'm right now in the process of fundraising that comes with a different set of issues. So I was speaking to a group that had a fund. And I was one of two women in the room, I believe. Obviously, I was on the side of her headquarters and then this other, you know, young lady was a part of the fund and the other, what, maybe 10 people, if if minimum, were all white men. And so I remember just their reaction was after hearing about her headquarters, the first thought wasn't, you know, wow, this is super innovative. Wow, this can really help women scale their businesses and help them reach new heights and impact the community. It was, don't you think you're being discriminatory? And I said, what do you mean? And they're like, well, I mean, I'm pretty sure you're going to get sued because you're blatantly launching a product that's only for women. That was the first thing that came out of their mouth. I don't expect everyone to say yes to me and I don't expect everyone to love what I'm doing, but that was the furthest thing from my mind that I expected. So I would say being in the Midwest, one of the biggest challenges is that there isn't a concentration of the industries that I'm focusing on, which means there's not an appreciation for it or an understanding of it. And then I think everyone can see it. I'm black. And so that's a whole nother set of challenges. But one of the questions earlier was, you know, how do you know which projects to pursue or or whatnot? I feel like if you're not deeply passionate about it, then when the hard days come, they're going to break you. I kind of went into this, not only entrepreneurship, but the tech industry, because my background was event planning. So I went from One industry where I knew I was a pro to being redirected to my passion, my purpose. And then I'm starting down here with no skill sets in this new industry at all. And so I feel like you have to go into it knowing that you're not entitled to an easy journey. And if you are mentally and emotionally prepared, whether it's for entrepreneurship, whether it's a new career, whether it's pursuing a project in the, the nonprofit organizational space, you have to be so passionate about it that you want to keep going even when all the odds are against you. And I think that if it's not just about you and it's also about other people and it's bigger than you, that's really going
1: to push you to keep going because you know it's
3: not just you. That's great. I
1: love that. Not entitled to an easy journey. That belongs on a pillow.
0: don't go away. Our guests will be right back in just a moment. But meanwhile, be sure and grab your copy of the Speak Out on Purpose report featuring popular Take the Lead columns about the power of voice. See the link in the resources and we'll provide other resources to you as well. This podcast episode is brought to you by Take the Lead's nine leadership power tools, a breakthrough leadership program that accelerates your career, helps you pivot to a new career, if that's what you want, and boosts your confidence in yourself, in life and leadership. Find out more and let us know how we can help you with training and coaching at taketheleadwomen.com front slash leadership tools, or you can email us directly at takethelead at taketheleadwomen.com. That's take the lead at taketheleadwomen.com. And we'll get right back to you. While you're on our website, taketheleadwomen.com, be sure to sign up for our newsletter and find many free resources like this podcast, always at your service. And when you connect with us there, you'll be first to know about our events and programs to power up your career. Find us on Facebook and LinkedIn at Take The Lead Women. On Twitter and Instagram at Take Lead Women, all one word. And I'm at Gloria Felt everywhere. And I really and truly love to hear from you. You are listening to the Take The Lead Women podcast with Gloria Felt. A That's new, me. Uh, now let's get back to our last guests. Month
2: shows that women who do not speak up and practice self silencing are at risk for poor cardiac health, eating disorders, and other physical ailments. The study shows a link between not speaking up and poor mental and physical health. So not only is taking a stand perhaps good for the world, it's good for all of us. And I think I alluded to that in the beginning. So we kind of want to ask all three of you, what can you share with our audience? Have you ever felt hindered about speaking up? And what can we do about overcoming that fear? Because it's clearly good for our health to speak up, but it's so scary.
3: I've always been very outspoken. My personal issue, was never, should I or should I not say something just because of the environment I was raised in. There's a whole lot of loud, outspoken, I don't care what you think I'm going to say what I want to say women in my family. So it got passed down to me. My personal biggest issue was articulating it in a way to where you could hear the message and not just hear the tone or the manner that I delivered it, which was when I was younger not the best way all the time. So that was my personal challenge, saying my message in a way where it could be received. But I would say that a lot of times when I was in a situation where I felt that I had to speak up on something that was wrong, it was usually in the defense of someone else where someone was being targeted or being mistreated. And so a lot of times there's this perception that a lot of people in society have that, oh, it's none of my business, or you know, I don't want to pick a side. But I think that when you don't pick a side and you can blatantly see someone being mistreated or discriminated against or racism or sexism or whatever it is, when you don't pick a side, you don't realize that you have picked a side because you left that person over here alone and by themselves. So I always speak up, I don't care whose nerves I get on. I don't care about an eye roll. For me, I've never been someone who wanted to make someone pull they're by themselves. So my biggest issue was, how do I say this in the right way so you can hear what I'm saying and not just hear my nasty tone? Because then you miss the message. But then if you're trying to miss the message, no matter how nicely I say it, you're not going to care because some people are comfortable in their ignorance.
4: When you talked about the study and the health impacts of kind of swallowing our emotions and our feelings, it reminded me of the quote from Zora Neale Hurston, who said, if you're silent about your pain, they will kill you and say you enjoyed it. I think... In rooms that I've been in, and I'm thinking specifically of newsrooms that I've worked in for newsrooms at Daily Newspapers in Indianapolis, Nashville, Charlotte, and in Memphis, being, you know, one of few women in the room, one of few Black women in the room. I think at first, maybe if I was afraid to speak out, it was because I didn't know if what I felt or what I was experiencing was common Mm -hmm. or whether it was just me. But, you know, once you're kind of in community with more women and you realize, okay, oh, it's actually not just me a whole bunch of us, and it's been a whole bunch of us for years experiencing these same issues. And I really felt strong, and I still feel strongly that after working with me or interacting with me, I want people to know the truth. Whether they act on that or not, I can't control that. But they won't be able to leave an encounter saying, well, I'm not sure how Wendy felt about that. I'm thinking of a couple of examples more recently where there were these programs that were being initiated to help journalism kind of live on a broad scale, but I could see specifically how it was going to leave out journalists of color. Mm-hmm. And so I was not going to leave that table without saying, I think this is a great idea, but let me tell you how this is not going to do what you think it's going to do. I mean, you can't claim this is transformational if you're not thinking intentionally about these already marginalized groups. Now, if they change anything or not, I can't control that. But what they won't be able to do is say they didn't know. If that's the only role I can have in that space at that time, you know, I really believe in the idea of, you know, one person plants the seeds and somebody else might water it. And then somebody else might see it grow, right? So maybe my role in that moment is just to plant the seed. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. Somebody else can hopefully reap the harvest if it's not me. Great metaphor.
1: There's
5: two parts as I interpret their question. One of the parts is speaking out on behalf of yourself or somebody else when you've been wronged. You know, whether it's a Me Too issue or something's happening. And that just comes down to pure integrity, right? So, you know, living by your values and you don't let things go by. And you immediately take action. and you know, when I was the CEO of the first five years of this company, there was just a zero tolerance policy for anything. And that's it. That's all there is to it. Like, there's no talking about it. I'm not going to put energy or attention on it in the sense that I'm not going to give that person who's doing that the energy of the battle. Actually, Wendy brought up a good point about your emotions and your feeling. Like us as women, we are more emotional beings. And I think that's what makes us so incredible and powerful. We care more. And so we should harness that. But it also brings up sometimes feelings to situations when I'm having a reaction, I'm having a physical reaction to something that's happening because I don't believe in it, but it's not you know, against my values. I just don't believe in what this person is doing and how they're going about the situation. And I think it comes down to really harnessing and owning our feelings and having tools to work with those so that you do use those feelings in the right ways at the right time. But you can also move them through and out of your body um, in a way that's not detrimental to yourself. So I know in the past, I would get very viscerally angry (laughs) and say things. But I think I'm actually more powerful now sometimes, you know, taking the high road and the approach of no, thank you not having this conversation. And actually, that has more power. And then I can release my energy in other ways. And I do a lot of like, Physical releases of energy and emotional releases. But it doesn't have to be in that situation. So I think it's just, you know, obviously being smart about when we do it and being careful not to overly exert our emotions, but not be afraid of them because those physical reactions that are happening in our body are a signal from our body that something is wrong. And it knows it's your intuition that's so strong. And that's why we have such strong emotions and we have such strong intuition. It's, there's a reason why it's connected. And they say women have stronger intuition, but learning the right time and the right way to process that and being mature about the processing of it. And sometimes we just turn around, don't give them the energy, actually going to cause more harm to them. They're going to question themselves more and more because you're not reacting.
4: Thanks for that. What Amanda said is absolutely right. Rather than give people the energy that they're seeking and the attention they seek, ignoring them is much more effective if you're trying to shame somebody or something. So that's a better way to do that.
1: I just got a question from an audience member. This is from Reagan. She asks, is it more powerful to speak out as a group or by myself?
5: It depends what the issue is. I'll say one thing. I am a really big believer in no drama. You're getting a group to like create drama and create a big issue out of something that maybe that's not the right way to do it. However, if you're talking about like you're trying to make change in the world and big issues, then, you know, power and numbers and having social change. So it depends on what we're really talking about. I do believe you have to ask yourself if you're above the line or below the line, you know, and when you're going and you're talking to somebody, getting somebody on your side, what your purpose and your motivation for it is. And so creating more drama and bringing people into the situation isn't always the best
2: course of action. It's funny because we just got another question, which is like the topic I wanted to move to next in terms of, you know, retaliation and consequences. And Noel asks, I'm in a new position and I do not want to get a reputation as a troublemaker, but there are things I see that are not right. Should I speak up?
4: If I were in a new organization and I was noticing things, I think I'd want to do more reporting, right? I'd want to know, who else may have noticed this? Who else may have brought this to somebody in leadership's attention? I'm assuming that the audience member isn't way high up in their organization. I would remember that HR works for the company, not for you. Something to just be aware of. And if it's not threat to somebody's safety, emotional or physical, I might just kind of gather string and get more information before I chose to speak up. And then when I did, I probably would ask questions. You know, like I noticed X, Y, Z. Is there a policy behind that? Or can you point me to the policy around that? Or has anyone ever tried to do X, Y? You know, I mean, I would just ask more questions that might come off in a way where you're just trying to get more information and not trying to say, y'all are insane (laughs) for doing it this way. What are you thinking? You You should be ashamed. Like maybe you can get them to realize that on their own just by asking questions.
2: Excellent advice. I love that. Wendy, because
1: you you operate on such a, a large public scale, uh, locally, national, and even globally, do you have advice for people who might want to break into that large public discourse or caution uh, that you want to express for them before they go real big on an issue publicly?
4: Yeah, this is interesting because... I do think that there can be an ageism and an experienceism in terms of who gets to speak up. You know, Karina, you were mentioning people thinking that you're younger than you are and, you know, not wanting to attach as much, you know, weight to your words because of that. But I do think there is something to be said for having put in the word, you know, whatever that is. And, you know, I will meet a lot of young journalists who will say, I want to speak out like you're speaking out. And I'll say, you know, I've been in the business 26 years. I can say, well, they did it this way at this newsroom, this way at this newsroom, this way at another room. And then, like, now I've created my own newsroom where all the leaders are, you know, women of color. And so that's why we do it this way. I would be mindful to to put in the work, to have the expertise, to have done the reading, to have the conversations you want to kind of have in the world in big spaces. Have the track record let the work kind of speak for itself. I do think that women have to be a lot more self-promoting than maybe we're comfortable being to get the shine that we deserve. And then find people who are your champions who will sing your praises for you and create spaces for you to you know, amplify what your message is. Now, I'm not saying that somebody who's 16 can't lead a crusade. I mean, we can look at, at Greta, Greta. You know, <laughs> made, or right. Malala or any number of young people who are doing amazing, incredible things. But I think it does get easier as you get older and you get a little more experience and you start to really not give two Fs about what other people think because you're just really confident about who you are and what you know.
2: That's interesting. So Yoli is asking, is there somewhere I can go and learn how to become more confident and advocate for myself?
5: emulate some of the men around us like that are powerful right that are confident and holding their own and walk away from a conversation and are just like in their space and in their energy but make sure that that's how you want to make people feel right are they making you feel the way you want to make people feel there's a hashtag i like i love called be it be it right so if you can see it you can be it so be around those people that you aspire to be that would be my biggest tip for you is is to find amazing people in your circle. And like Karina said earlier, be discerning on who those people are and who you allow into your circle in all facets of your life, not just work, but any you know relationships or friendships, because that's going to trickle down and actually have impact. I have broken up with so many friends, I can't even tell you because I just wasn't aligned anymore and I was just done with the drama. I just don't have it in me. I don't have energy to hear these stories anymore and we all create our own reality. <laughs> Um, So we have to step out of a situation that's not working for us and to own, really own our shit. And what's coming to us is a reflection of what we've asked for in the universe.
3: I definitely think that in part confidence is a lifestyle. And I think it requires a certain level of awareness. I think most people know what they're good at. And a lot of people know the things that they have insecurities about, you know, rather it's, I really am not confident in public speaking yet, or I'm not confident in singing yet, but I really want to be a singer. Everyone has their something. Know who's around you that feeds your strengths and who feeds your insecurities and make the appropriate cuts. I think that confidence, it's a journey, but it's also a lifestyle. You have to be aware of your decisions. And I had a friend at one point a couple of years ago, she was just in a really bad place. And one of the things I told her as she was going through her transformation to having a happier, healthier lifestyle inside and out, was to write a letter to herself. That's something I always tell women to do. Write a letter to yourself telling you, even if you don't believe every word yet, how amazing you are, how worthy you are, how valuable you are, and describe to yourself what your best self looks like. And I don't mean from a physical standpoint, but just inside. And read that letter every day until... You don't have to read it anymore because you've become her and let that be your affirmation to yourself every single day. Sometimes I definitely think that we need a cheerleading squad of people around us. But I also think that sometimes we have to be the captain of our own cheerleading squad sometimes too make those changes. Anyone who's not feeding and nurturing a confident version of you, cut them out without hesitation and realize the parts of you that are insecure and start to work on those areas, but baby step it and know that it's okay if you're not the most confident woman in the world tomorrow or next week. It is definitely a process and don't be hard on yourself as you go through this transformation because that's really what it is.
4: I do think that this degree of agency that we're encouraging others to have comes with some degree of privilege, right? And so I don't want anyone listening to this to think that they can will themselves out of systemic racism, right? It doesn't quite work like that. I would not want anyone who's working a low-wage job to feel in any way that they are in a situation that they are in because of their attitude, right? Because there are systems and structures at play that are designed to produce the results that we experience in society. Now, that said, I think that often when I hear questions like, you know, how do I have more confidence? That assumes that the people who are doing things have that confidence. I hate public speaking. I don't enjoy it. I'm nervous every time before I do it, and I just do it anyway. I think that's part of it. And then there's one trick that I'll mention that my therapist told me, to talk to myself the way I would talk to my niece. I have a Mm -hmm. beloved seven-year-old niece, and if she came to me and said, you know, auntie, auntie, when I am scared of whatever, I would say, girl, do you not know how brilliant you are? Black girls are magic. We are magic. You can do this. And so if you're ever tempted to kind of like get in your head, talk to yourself like you would talk to a little girl that you love the most, a niece, granddaughter, child, your best friend's daughter, whatever. And I think for me, that's been helpful.
1: How can people find um, each of you and your companies? Our social media
3: is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And on every single platform, it's just her headquarters. Yes. Um, if they just wanted to reach out, if they had questions or just needed more advice or insight, then they can just email us. And it's info at her
2: I was just going to say, they wanted to know
3: what was your response to the male founder? My response to those men founders who were basically saying afraid that they didn't want to work with her headquarters because they thought that we were being discriminatory and that we would eventually get sued. It didn't offend me at all. It maybe discouraged me if I were to be honest for 0.5 seconds. And then after that, I was just like, whatever, because if that's your thought, and it kind of goes back to the, the discernment and having the right partners and the right allies if that was their very first thought then they're not the right partners for us anyway i didn't feel like i was losing anything if anything it just made me more intentional going forward with who i reach out to as a potential investor looking at their portfolio and only targeting you know angel investors and vcs that are known for supporting women or that have invested in other women-owned companies in the past if i didn't see that in their history then I didn't even approach them because you have to support women to invest in a company that exclusively promotes, caters to, and appeals to women. So I didn't take any offense to it. I just took it as a learning opportunity to better vet who I approach as a potential partner in the future.
5: Amanda,
2: how do people find you?
5: Twitter or Instagram at Amanda, K-A-H-L-O-W, all one word. I have started a passion project, not something that I'm trying to make money off of, but really just to bring empowerment to women. And I've uh, created a retreat for women the butterfly effect Retreat.com. And we just had one in Idaho, another one coming up in Napa, another one in Tulum, small group of women to really help you transform from the inside out mind, body, soul, spiritual, all the things, empowerment, manifestation, living in the now, everything that you could want for women in a four day experience to really help transform you. So that's it. The butterfly effect Retreat.com.
2: Wendy, how can
4: people find you? So me personally, I am on Facebook at Wendy C-W-E-N-D-I, the letter C, Thomas. And on Twitter, where I'm a, I'm a big tweeter, at <laughs> Wendy W-E-N-D-I underscore C underscore Thomas. And you can find MLK50, Justice Through Journalism, at MLK5050Memphis on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn.
2: I wanted to say all of your tips and tricks are so amazing. And one thing that you guys could try that we tried at my office, this started about two years ago, and you can do this in any office. One day, we just decided in our video pod that we were going to go around the room in the morning and compliment each other. And I cannot tell you the positive effect it had where people would look forward to it every single week. And I actually just realized I haven't done that in a while. And Karina, when you said that, you know, write a letter to yourself. I was just reminded about how finding your group at your office and then encouraging the positivity and pointing out like what all of our talents are kind of joins, you know, all of our tips and tricks here. So I would try that. We have a one, one question we'd love to ask. Um, what is your go-to song or quote that keeps you revved up? I can
3: start, actually, because I have it right here. I left my (laughs) full-time job in May of this year, and I was terrified. And um, one of the women who worked there on my last day, she gave me this quote here. It's by uh, Stella Stewart, and it said, Behind me is infinite power. Before me is endless possibility. Around me is boundless opportunity. Why should I fear? Whenever I'm down, I see that, and it like boosts me up.
5: I'm going to botch this, I'm sure, and not get it exactly right, but you guys will get the gist. Um, a quote from Maya Angelou that says, my purpose is not just to survive, but to thrive with compassion, heart, laughter, and she said something else, but uh, <laughs> but I love not just to survive, but thrive with heart and laughter.
4: Wendy, how about you? Do you I like have a- mine oh. on my desk. Set goals. So-, so big, they laugh, and crush them while they watch. Wow, love
1: that. Goodness, thank you so much, all our guests, Carmina Glover, Amanda Kahlo, and Wendy C. Thomas. You are an integral part of Take the Leads Network and of all of us moving to gender parity by 2025. So thank you, Reshma, and everyone. Please go to our website, taketheleadwomen.com, to learn more about how we can help you and your organization achieve gender parity and leadership. And please share all of this with your friends and colleagues on social media.
0: Thanks for listening to this Take the Lead Women podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode on using the power of your voice, I hope you will implement some of these great tips starting today. And would you please share this podcast with other women who would love it and benefit from it? You'll be helping them take the lead too. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're not already subscribed so that your, our podcast will come straight to your inbox every week. And I'm going to tell you, we would so appreciate your taking just a minute to rate and review us on Apple podcasts or whatever your favorite podcast app might be, because that really helps us to grow our listenership and help more women. And don't be surprised if you get a shout out when you do review us. Let's connect on social media, too, where you can tell us how you're taking the lead on Facebook and LinkedIn at Take the Lead Women, on Twitter and Instagram at Take Lead Women, all one word. And I'm at Gloria Felt everywhere. Join me again right here at the Take the Lead Women podcast. You'll get something new to help you lead and succeed every week. Till next time, power to you.